Everybody loves a good story. We like a story that's sometimes humorous, sometimes grabs our attention, sometimes helps us remember the truth. When we tell a story during the sermon, we call it an illustration. It's a good story. But what we're getting today is not just a good story to tickle our ears. It's not just an illustration to catch our attention. It is the embodiment of the truth that Jesus Christ is about to teach when we have the parable of the sower and the soils. This parable is probably one of the best-known parables in the Bible. It's another one of those things, if you preach on John 3.16, the Christmas story, or the parable of the sower, everybody sits there and thinks, what new could I possibly learn from this? But we're expositionally going through Mark, and I learned new things this week. So I hope I can help, to help you see some things that are in here, this parable of the sower and the soils. Let's read through the parable together and then pray that the Lord will take his word and apply it to our hearts this morning. Beginning in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teachings, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand the parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. These are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and prove it unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Father, as we get into your word this morning, I pray that you might impress the truths of this parable to our hearts. Help us to understand, just as you looked at your disciples and your followers in that day, amazed that they did not understand and explaining the parable because it is so key to all the rest of what you're going to teach in this Gospel of Mark. I pray that you'll help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to be people who love you or people of faith, people who have come to Jesus Christ for salvation, and now people who want to grow as we hear the truth. Help us not to be able to just hear, And listen, but Lord, help it to change our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
We get an introduction to start with. Again, we're coming off the time in chapter 3 that we talked about where Jesus is beginning to get all kinds of opposition. Opposition from the scribes and the Pharisees. They're even coming all the way from Jerusalem up to Galilee to oppose him because he's become dangerous to their ministries. And so they get together and they test him and they watch him and they accuse him of doing miracles. Again, remember a couple weeks ago, they accused him of doing miracles in the power of Satan. And they said he's satanically based. This is not something from God. And so he's taking care of all of that. He's taught what it really means to be in Christ. And now he sets himself and goes aside again to teach the multitudes. And in verse 1 he says he began to teach and such a large crowd gathered about him that he had to get in a boat and go out into the Sea of Galilee so that they could hear him and he wasn't crushed by the crowd. Wouldn't that be a wonderful problem to have? You know, I guess I'd have to get a boat and get into the baptismal. But, you know, so many people coming... Because they want to hear the truth. They want to hear what's going on. But as Jesus looked out at this crowd, and we were told in chapter 3, he also knew their hearts. And many of them came not to hear the truth, but they came for the miracles that were being performed. They came because they were sick or had brought someone who was sick and wanted them to be healed. And though they were hearing the truth, they didn't all necessarily come because of the truth. And so as Jesus gets into the boat and he goes out, we find something new in verse 2. It says, he was teaching them many things in parables. This is the first mention of parables as we're going through the book of Mark. In fact, Mark doesn't mention much in Jesus' teaching at all. We talked about that. He narrates a lot of the events of Jesus' life. There are only two major portions of Jesus' teaching found in this book. Chapter 4, where we're beginning today, and in chapter 16, when he talks about the end times, we get some more of Jesus' teaching and discourse, and most of the rest of the book is what Jesus is doing, and how he's applying it to hearts and lives. But as Mark comes to chapter 4, he's going to give us a whole chapter on, this is what Jesus said. So when you've got a book that's based on action, and it takes a whole chapter out to give you teaching, you ought to do exactly what Jesus said, listen up. This is important. This takes precedence in what's happening around him. And so in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, he's simply going to give a story about different types of soil to crowds who would understand that. Again, we read this parable. How many of you really identify with the parable of the sower? You ever gone out and just sown seeds so you'd get a harvest? Sometimes I think our garden's like that, but I can't say anything. I don't put hardly any work into it. You know, But in their day, when... Jesus looked out at these folks, most of them part of an agrarian society, a fishing society as well up there. They knew what it meant. They had seen people. In fact, if you walk the Holy Lands, I have not been there. I've seen pictures of it. Well, talk to Diane afterwards. She's probably seen it. But you can go to places where there are still hard paths flowing in between the fields where they're doing their harvesting and their crops. And the picture is, here's a guy with a huge sack of seed, and he's walking on those hard paths, and he's casting the seed out so that he's going to have a harvest later. And was like, well, we don't see that, but we need to see that today. We need to understand what they saw as they saw that. This was an everyday thing, and so they understood exactly what he was talking about. And Jesus is going to go on, and in, in verses 10 through 13, he's going to bring his group together. Now, we don't have the exact timing on this, exactly when it happened. Obviously, it had to happen quickly afterwards. But he brings a small group, the 12, and those who really believe. And he's going to talk to them about parables and why he's using parables. And then in verses 14 through 20, and one of the reasons I love the parable of the sower is Jesus interprets it for us. 
Are parables always easy to figure out? They were given so that people would hear and not hear. See and not see, and that seems kind of strange, doesn't it? You ever ask yourself why that was? And we're going to talk about that when we get there, because Jesus is going to explain it. Exactly why he's using these. But he's going to explain this parable to his disciples so that they get it, because it is so key from understanding everything else he's going to say later. And again, parables, they're, they're analogies. The parables are there to help us to understand deep spiritual truths with things that we can wrap our minds around. It's illustrations in a sermon. You know, if you're given illustrations in a sermon just so you finally wake people up and they'll chuckle a little bit, you really oughtn't use them that way. But Jesus is using this because here is the truth about the gospel. Here's the truth about the ministry that his disciples are going to face as they go forward in this point from their ministry and on. And it's the truth about the way God works in hearts and what happens as he does. And so it's very key to their ministry going forward. So let's look at the parable. Number one, he starts out in the first word in chapter, in verse three. Listen. Listen. Why did he say that? Again, put yourself back into the context of where he was. Where is Jesus? He's on the lake in a boat. There's a huge multitude on the side. Now, they tell me again, if you go to Galilee in that, in that area, it's almost like having an amphitheater the way the acoustics work. But as Jesus gets on the boat and he looks out, I think there's more than just, I hope you're able to hear. Because what has he told his disciples back in chapter 3? Too many of these people are coming just because of the miracles. They're not coming to hear the truth. And Jesus is about to talk about the truth of the gospel and how it works. And I think he looked out with a very heartfelt, passionate, listen. Listen up. And I think he'd say the same thing to us this morning. Whatever's going on in your life, we're busy, we've got things going, some of us have things going this afternoon, and if we're not careful, that's going to take over our thinking while we're going through the passage, and you've got things happening this week, or you know, family things are going on, and you need to stop, and you need to set it aside, and for just a few minutes, listen to what Jesus Christ has to say, and this is what he has to say. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed that fell along the path, And the birds came and devoured it. So he's going to go along. And we're not going to spend a lot of time in the actual story because it doesn't take much to get the story. It's the next part that we need to get our minds around. There's this sower and he's going throwing things out. And as he throws seed out and scatters it to the wind, just like that, some of it's going to fall at his feet on these hard paths. And it's just not going to be worth anything. It's not going to grow. And it goes on to say not only that, but there's... Three other types of soil that it's going to hit. As he scatters this seed, we see in, in verse 4 that the stuff on the, on the path is eaten up by the birds. So there's other seed going out. And it's falling on rocky ground. And again, if you go through the, the promised land, it's interesting. The terrain's not what I pictured. You know, when, when, when I grew, was growing up as a kid, I always pictured the promised land, you know, as all green flowing meadows. Everything was well watered, you know, like a, a paradise in a garden from the tip of the south all the way to the top of the north. And much of the land of Israel is an arid land. It's a rocky land. Now, not all of it. There's some fertile stuff in the, in the Jordan Valley, and there's some other fertile areas. But a lot of it is like Jesus is describing here. And as these folks are thinking about it, they can say, yeah, I know that kind of land. You know, we've got a little bit of soil on the top, and, and the bedrock isn't far underneath. And, God, and Jesus is saying, some of the seed fell, on, it fell there. It fell on this rocky soil where it didn't have much soil. 
So what happens? And again, I'm not a farmer, so I'm not going to explain exactly why it happens, but the, the, the heat generated by the rock being underneath there and the moisture that's in that little bit of soil causes those seeds to germinate quickly, and they come right up. And then he says, the problem with that is, it doesn't have much soil, and immediately it springs up because of that, depth, that lack of depth of soil. And when the sun rises, it's scorched, and since it has no root, it withers away. The roots go down and they hit bedrock. And so when the sun comes up and the roots need to get more water, there's none to be had, and what happens to the plants? They wither away. What does the sower gain from the seed that fell on that ground? Nothing. And then he goes on and says, not only that, but there's a third type of ground. Verse 7, and other seeds fall among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on good soil. Now, this third soil, first of all, he throws it out and it falls into good soil. But what's the problem with the soil? There's weeds. There's thistles. There's all kinds of things. My, my wife, and, and I'm, not, I'm not good. I, I go over and I see CL when I want to learn something about trees and outdoors because I just didn't ever learn that stuff like I should have. So I, I get a lesson every time I walk through with trees and, and plants and flowers. And my wife, she scattered a bunch of wildflower seeds on the side of our hill trying to work on things, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago. And, and I go out there, and my problem is somewhere around June or July, there's lots of things growing on our hillside. And those wildflowers, they're out there. But you know what else is out there? Stuff that looks like flowers to me. And I've got, I've got a problem with allergies. And I always think, oh, I hate this time of the year. Well, I, I think it was the, the doors of seal that came over the one day and looked over. And one of them said, you know, that's all ragweed over there. And I'm thinking, no, those are lovely wildflowers. That's ragweed. If you're sneezing, that's what's doing it. And I had no idea. I didn't know ragweed was going to come up where we planted flowers and seeds. And Jesus in this story is saying, this guy, his livelihood depends on it. He's casting out this seed in order to get a harvest. And the weeds are growing with it. And you know what grows best on our hillside? Ragweed. It'll fill, we're trying to get the flowers. My wife does all this work and she's got all these intricate things and flowers growing everywhere. And you know what takes over if we're not careful? Ragweed. If only the rest of it would grow like the ragweed. And that's exactly what Jesus says here as it's growing up. These thorns and these thistles come and they choke out the harvest. And what does the sower get from that part of the harvest? Nothing. It gets choked out. But Thankfully, he gets to the end of the story and says, And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, again, put this story in the context of what's been happening. People are coming to see Jesus Christ for majorly what reason? They want to be healed. They're seeing miracles. It's amazing. And and we don't get this. I didn't get this. I didn't get this until this week when I was studying. I started studying this and I thought, you know, Jesus, why tell the story like that? Because when we look at what happens in the promised land, when they they go out and they sell and they sow like that, if they get an eightfold harvest, that's a bountiful harvest. If they get eightfold for what they've sown. And now this miracle worker, this Jesus, starts talking about the harvest. And he starts talking about what? You're going to get returns of 30, 60, 100 fold. What's going on in the minds of these farmers sitting on the hillside? I need some of Jesus' magic seed. You know, this is, did he get their attention? Did he get their attention because he was going to help them learn new farming techniques? 
Okay, and that's the thing we need to realize. He, did, he got their attention. He said, he that has ears, let him hear. But when Jesus says that, he's not saying, let him hear how he can get a better harvest in his grain next year. He's saying, let him hear the spiritual lesson that's behind this. So where does he go from here? Why is he doing this? Well, look at verse 10. It said, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And again, what you have here is Jesus pulls his true believers aside later. We don't know exactly when or exactly where, probably in the same area. But he has the 12. And if we read through Luke and and Matthew, it makes it very clear that it's the 12. And it's those others, when it says those around him, are the others that are the true believers in what he's saying. They're there to hear the truth. They're growing. They're becoming what they ought to be in Christ. And he pulls them aside and they ask him. Now, Mark doesn't give us the full impact of the story. Because they just didn't ask him about parables. They came right out. I'm guessing, I don't think it really says anywhere, but I would picture Peter doing this. They looked at Jesus Christ, who's been teaching all along, and people are amazed by his teaching. And then suddenly they get aside and they look at Christ and they said, Why are you teaching in parables? And the reason is, did the disciples get the parable of the sower and what it meant when they heard it on the hillside? No, they didn't. Jesus is going to talk about it in a minute. He's going to kind of chastise them a little bit about not getting it. But they didn't get it. And if they didn't get it, the 12 that are with him all the time and his close followers, how many people in that group sitting on the hillside got it? And so the disciples are looking at him and again... It almost amazes me because the disciples of the Master, who is the Son of God, who has been teaching in ways that nobody else is, are suddenly telling him what? How to teach. Jesus, you kind of missed the boat here. And so that's what's happening as they gather together. And he said to them, This is why I teach in parables. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is parables. So that indeed... So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Okay, put yourself in this context again. Jesus looks at them, and what's the first thing he said? He's going to talk to them, to you, to the twelve, to the the ones who really believe and have put their faith and trust in me has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. The word there, literally, and many of your translations will have this if you don't have the ESV, it's the word mystery, and it's the word in Greek from mystery. And the idea is, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, don't think of mysteries like you think of a mystery book that you buy and bring back home from the library and you can't figure it out. The mystery in the New Testament, it refers to a truth, a spiritual truth that saints of old did not understand, but the truth of it's revealed in the New Testament so that we know what it is. The mystery of salvation, the mystery of Jesus Christ, the mystery of what's going to happen with God and his children and all that going forward. And Jesus looks at them, and this should have touched their hearts. To you has been given to know these things. I'm going to teach you what you really need to know. Important spiritual truths. But again, they were just asking him what question. Why are you teaching in parables? Why are they concerned? Well, they're concerned because they didn't get it. But why else are they concerned? Lord, you had this huge crowd here. And they probably went away thinking harvest time. And that's not what you meant, was it? Why did you do that? And Jesus goes on and he says this. But for those outside, what does he mean by those outside? 
He's now made, broken them down into two groups. Here's my inside group, 12 believers and others that are truly believing in me that are getting the teaching of the parable. And those outside, those who have heard, they came for the wrong reasons, and they're in the process or have already rejected me in the truth of who I am. And so he said, for those folks that have rejected this truth of who I am and what I'm doing, the Pharisees and even the crowd that's coming only to see these miracles, he said, for those folks, everything's in parables. Now, if he stops there, what's the disciples' next question? Why? Don't they need to know the truth? Don't they need to accept the truth? And Jesus has already given them the truth. For the first three chapters of this book of Mark, he's been giving them the truth so that they looked and said, wow, nobody teaches like that. Nobody has that authority. But they didn't get it. They didn't accept it. They didn't put their faith and trust in that truth. And they came for all the wrong reasons. And so Jesus comes on and he says, so that they indeed may see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. When I first read that verse, i got to tell you, I'm with Peter and the disciples. I think if I come in here today and say, Here is my, here's my goal for you. I'm going to preach today, and I hope you hear something, but you don't understand what you're hearing. I hope you see something today, but you have no idea what this preacher said. And at the end of the day, when all this, the last thing I want for you to do is to repent and be forgiven. You ought to throw me out if that's my mode of ministry. But this is Jesus. And Jesus is quoting, he goes back to the time of Isaiah, and he's quoting Isaiah when he says this idea of seeing and not seeing, and hearing and not hearing. And the whole idea behind this Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where the people of Israel had hard hearts. And a sovereign God looked at these people with hard hearts and says, you know what? I brought you my prophets, I brought you my truth, you've rejected it, and so now I'm going to talk to you, but you're going to see and not see. You're going to hear and not hear. You've cemented your judgment. And Jesus is looking at the crowds and saying, I brought them in truth. Did Jesus love those crowds when he brought them the truth? Remember them over Jerusalem? We could use a little of Jesus' heart over Jerusalem. Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he cries. He sheds tears. He said, if only you had come. The same Jerusalem that he knows in just a few days is going to cry crucify him, put him on the cross and try to get rid of him. Jesus loved those folks. And our job is to love these folks. But Jesus looks and says, I know where their hearts are already. They've rejected me. And so just like Isaiah's time, God said, I'm going to let you hear, but not hear and see, not see, lest you perceive, unless you repent, unless you come back to me. Because he's like, you've had that chance and you've not taken it. And your opportunity isn't going to happen through this. And so Jesus said that to the disciples. Now, does he ever explain it any further to them? Be honest. Do you still like that answer? I look at that and I think, and I don't mean this disrespectfully at all, but I think, Jesus, can't you give him another shot? We can be thick-headed at times. But you're talking about the Lord of glory. He knows exactly what needs to be done and what, who needs to come and how the, the, the truth is going to work in hearts. And he says, no, they're going to see and not see. They're going to hear and not hear. And their judgment has been cemented for them. What do you think that did when they grasped the truth of that to the 12 and those that were there getting the truth? That's grace. That's mercy. Because they deserve to be out on the, the hillside just like the rest of them. So Jesus goes through this, and then as they're trying to grapple with all this, it's almost like this isn't fair, the next question. Because he already knew the answer to this. He asked them in verse 13, Do you understand this parable? 
Did they get the parable? Not yet. That's why they asked him in the first place. Why are you teaching them parables? Now, they didn't come right out in any place I could find recounted in any of the Gospels and say, Jesus, why are you teaching parables? Because we didn't get this. You know, they use that friend kind of thing. You ever go to somebody and you need counsel? I've got a friend who, and you tell him a story, and you're the friend. Well, the disciples are coming, and in a sense, they're coming, and, and it's true these other folks didn't get it, but did they get it? They didn't get it either. They're like, why are you teaching like this? Because I don't get this. And so he asks them straight out, do you understand? And then get this. Because of all of the Gospels that share this story, Mark is the only one who puts this extra, this extra verse in here and tells us what happened. He says, how will you then understand all the parables if you don't understand this one? What's he trying to tell the disciples? He said, this parable has everything to do with the gospel and how the gospel works and what the gospel will and won't do when it goes out and what your responsibility is in the gospel. And if we read into it and we look through it and we study what God's going to do with the gospel and as he goes through all this, he's about to give more parables. But he said, if you can't understand how the gospel's going to work, you're never going to get the rest of this. And so it's crucial that we get this. Praise the Lord that he didn't look and say, now think about it and come up with the meaning of this, will you? He said, I'm going to tell you exactly what it means because this is foundational. If it were me, and it wasn't me, Christ is so much wiser than I am, but I would have said, listen up again. You know, don't miss this. Because he goes into verse 14, and in verse 14, he's going to go from the parable to the purpose of the parables to the interpretation. And this is what we always want with a parable, isn't it? You know, it's... Fun and probably not a good way all necessarily, but it's fun to go to some of the commentaries when you get to some of the other parables that Jesus doesn't give you the interpretation to. There's good men that can't figure some of these things out. And Jesus is looking at his disciples. Not one of them had a seminary degree. Not one of them was studying the ancient languages. These were fishermen. These were financial people. And he's looking at them and saying, you can understand these things. And when you do, it'll change your lives and ministries. And so he goes into verse 14, and he said, the sower sows the word. So the seed is the word. It's in the context of what we've got here. It's God's word, Jesus' word about the kingdom of the gospel that he's been spreading since chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. He said, the sower goes out, and he sows the word. He doesn't tell us anymore about the sower. Why doesn't he? Could Jesus be the sower? He just sowed to the whole mountainside. Could we fit into the story as the sower? Would his disciples be sowers down the road? There's all kinds of interpretations on this, but good interpretations. Jesus said the word has to be sown. And so this applies not only to when I sow the word, but again, you look at say, if this applies to when Jesus was out there sowing the word, guess what's going to happen when we sow the word? The exact same thing. So he said, the sower went out to sow the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear. So he goes first of all right to the first part of the ground. He said, those along the path, the ones who hear, you get a chance to give out the gospel. And what happens? He says, when they hear, Satan immediately comes, takes away the word, takes away any word that is sown in them. So you give some folks the gospel and they're like the hard path. It bounces off the path. And Satan comes just like those birds and snatches every bit of it, and they reject it. 
They're hard to it. They're callous, just like that path is hard. Their hearts are hard and not open to the gospel. You ever run into people like that? And Jesus is looking and saying, who's responsible for part of that? Satan's taking away the gospel from people with hard hearts. And it's not impacting them. And that's going to happen. If you take out the word of God and you sow the scriptures and you give the gospel to people, are you going to make some people mad? Anybody ever get mad at you for sharing the gospel? I hate to tell you that because if you haven't, they're going to, and then you're going to not want to do it again. Because just like the sower, when the sower goes out to sow his seed in the story, does he want seed to be stolen by the bird? Did he go out to feed the birds? No, he did not. When we go out to, to share the gospel, are we going out to have people get mad at us and reject the message? No, we do not, but they're going to. There's going to be a certain percentage because they did with Jesus. Part of the reason for this story is that as the disciples are looking at these huge multitudes, they're beginning to realize that they're not stupid men. They're beginning to realize the Pharisees hate you. There are certain people out there that are just here to take advantage of you. Why is this happening? And this is telling us part of why it happens as the Spirit works as the sowed seed goes out, there's seed that goes out, and Satan just steals it. People have hard hearts, and it has no effect. We kind of understand that. Most of us have come across that. Some of us may have family members like that. They won't let us talk about the Scripture. You know, you call them today, and you start talking about the Gospel, and they'll hang up on you. Okay, so we, we get that. The next couple kinds of ground are a little bit more difficult for us. Look at verse 16. It said, And there were ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And this is where you start getting people wondering, what's happening here? Somebody's just gotten the gospel, the word. And they say, hey, that's great news. Isn't that the reaction we want? Say, I'm not trying to fool you. You can shake your head yes. That's what we want. That's why we go out with this. That's what we're doing. And so you look at this, and you're thinking about the rocky ground, but suddenly, like, hey, this is promising. But it goes on to say, even though they start with this emotional response, this dramatic response to the gospel, verse 17, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when temptation or tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. These are emotional hearers. I talked to you a little bit last week about why I'm reticent to have altar calls and emotionally try to drive people down the aisle because it's, it's more than an emotional response. And Jesus is looking at this rocky ground and he's saying, there are people who hear the word of God and they have this emotional response and they get all excited, but they don't really understand what salvation's all about. And so there's no root in them. And when there's tribulations and trials and problems that come because of the word of God, you ever get trouble because you're a Christian? People ever not like you because you're a Christian? People ever go past not liking you to being downright nasty because you're a Christian? And what Jesus is saying is there's people when that tribulation and those trials come, their faith was so shallow, it was not genuine. They didn't understand what it really meant to follow Jesus Christ, not only to pray a prayer and hope that I've got a fire insurance ticket out of hell, but it's a matter of repenting and turning to God so that Jesus Christ will lead and guide my life and he through the spirit and sanctification will make me what I ought to be as I walk with him. They just got this emotional euphoria and said, this is wonderful, and it didn't last. 
And the danger with that, as they go through their ministries, as Jesus looks at these people on the mountainside, some of them who definitely must fit into this category, is folks like that can look back and say, well, I I remember when I prayed the prayer. I must be saved. But the prayer has got to be what happened in our hearts. It's got to be what God has done inside us and it's a reflection of that. It's not magic words to get you to heaven. And too many folks treat it like that. And Jesus is looking and saying, be careful because there's people who are going to look and they're going to see and they're emotionally going to get all caught up with us. But that enthusiasm and that emotion wears off and then they're gone. And the word he uses is a very picturesque word. He says, they fall away. It's a word in the Greek from which we get the word scandal. It's like they looked like they were one thing, but when the heat gets turned up, you find out it wasn't real. And so that's going to happen. That's heartbreaking. You you ever share the gospel with somebody and you thought they knew the Lord, and then weeks later they're just gone? I I think I was sharing with my wife earlier. I remember the, the first time that I was really getting enthusiastic out of college about, I've got to share the word. And we had a program of some kind for teenagers at our church. And I still remember the young man's name. There was a young man that came forward said, I want to get saved. I want to know I have eternal life. His name was Tom. I've got a small little New Testament still at home with Tom's name in the back of it. Because I was so excited. Tom came down and he wanted to know the Lord. The guy was about 14, 15 years old. No church background. I went through the gospel with him. I led him through the sinner's prayer. Tom prayed. Everybody felt good. Tom went home and then I went to follow up the next week. And I knocked on Tom's door and he lived in an apartment and Tom wasn't home. And so I left my information thinking, surely Tom will call me. And that Sunday, Tom didn't show up at church. And I thought, wow, I, Tom mustn't really understand. So I went, I, I went back and I knocked. This was before cell phones, so I couldn't just grab him, text him, get a hold of him, you know, social media. So I, I went back and I knocked again. Couldn't find Tom. A third time, I think his mom was finally upset that I kept coming around. and said, look, Tom's with his friend somewhere down around the corner. So I went to find Tom. Because Tom was my convert. The problem was he was my convert. And I found Tom, and you know what he told me? Yeah, that was fine that day, but I don't think that's not for me. It broke my heart. But Jesus Christ is telling there's people who are going to make emotional responses, but they don't really understand. They don't understand what it is to come to Christ. They don't understand what it is to be saved and be a part of the family of God. And they're going to fall away. And then maybe, I guess not more tragic, but just as tragic, look at verses 18 and 19. It says, and others are those, the ones that are sown among thorns. Those that hear the word. So these are people kind of like the people in the rocky soil. They hear the word. They're not antagonistic toward it. They don't tell you to get lost. They listen to it. They make a decision of some kind. You think it's to to accept Christ and, and to go forward. And you think they're all on board. And then what does Jesus say? But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches... And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Who are these folks? Again, as we look at this, you've got three sets of folks who look like they know Christ, but they don't. And these are hard again because they look like they've accepted. They might sit in the pew with you for a while. They might pray with you sometime. But as time goes on, what happens? We know folks like this. They get caught up in the stuff of the world. They don't have time for Christ. They don't have time for Bible study. 
They don't have time after a while for showing up on Sunday morning at church because what's happened is it was sown in this soil and it should have worked out, but the thorns, the, the world. And Jesus said the cares of this world, the desires, the things that come up, or the deceitfulness of riches. They realize that there's a cost to following Jesus Christ and they can't live life for themselves and for what they can amass and, and love those things and grasp onto those things. Jesus taught about it. Jesus taught about it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 21 and 24. He said, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I know after COVID, we stopped passing the plate and we put a box out, or we put the plates out back and then the guys that handled the money told me it's not really a good idea to leave these open plates back there. We need to have some kind of a box. And so we got a box and when the box came in and was ordered, it was a treasure chest. Now some of you gave me fits that we have a treasure chest in the back. Well, we're going to link it to this verse, okay? Because when you put money in there, remember, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you put it in that chest, you're saying, and you don't have to have a treasure chest, but we happen to. But you put it in there and you say, you know what, God? My money's yours because my life is yours because everything I have is yours. And sometimes we give lip service to that, but when push comes to shove, it's not true. We live our lives to amass things, to take care of the things that we've amassed, to amuse ourselves. America, we're amusing ourselves to death. That's a whole other message. But you look at these things, and Jesus says, there's people who are going to come, and they're going to look like they were saved, and suddenly the cares of the world, and the fact that they love riches, he goes on in that same passage and says in verse 24 of Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Say, oh, he's beating on money. You know what Jesus is really saying there? You can't come to Jesus Christ and add Jesus to everything else and have it be okay. You can't walk an aisle and pray a prayer and add Jesus to the rest of your life and just kind of have him get in line wherever he fits for the week. When you come to Jesus Christ, what a picture he gave us when he called the disciples and he said, leave everything and follow me. It's following him and everything is God's, not mine. I'm living my whole life to serve God. It's not about how much I have or how much prestige I have. It's how can I serve God better? How can I serve those around me better? And that's a change in lifestyle and mindset from people. You say, I'm not a selfish person. Think about life and you probably beg to differ after a while. But what is the theme of this whole gospel? Sacrifice and service. And Jesus is going to make the ultimate sacrifice. He's going to give his life a ransom for many. He's going to teach his disciples, who might tend to get sound a little bit down this path a little bit, who's going to be the greatest, Lord? The one who serves everyone else. Did they get it? Did they get it at first? You wouldn't have the story of the washing of the disciples' feet if they got it. Can you imagine being one of the disciples sitting there let Jesus Christ wash your feet? How did that happen? Because they still had all these ambitions that needed to be laid aside to follow Jesus Christ. And he looks at Peter and says, I will wash your feet or you're not part of me. You're going to learn this lesson. I doubt they ever forgot that. If you had had dirty feet and the Savior was washing your feet, would you ever forget that? Especially when a week later you see him hanging on Calvary for your sin. And... Jesus looks and says, there's folks that are just all about themselves. They're all about the money. They're all about the world. And so they look like they're good, solid Christian folks, but they drift away. And you won't see them again. And then there's a fourth type of soil. 
Praise the Lord, he goes into the fourth type of soil in verse 20. He said, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear, accept, and bear fruit. It's the idea of James. James said, show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith. By my work. I didn't get saved by those works, but when I got saved, it changed my life. And you can see a difference that if somebody comes down and says, I know Christ, I've received Christ, and their life doesn't change, they haven't. Now, will everybody become perfect angelic people the moment they come to Christ? Christ knows that too. And even if you're growing, will you grow at the same level as some folks? Some folks are going to have fruit 30-fold, some 60-fold. So amazing, God, the things God's going to do in their lives. A hundredfold. But if there's no fruit, there's no salvation. There's no such thing as fruitless faith. And that's James, the whole book of James. Look at James chapter 2. He said, that faith is dead. The demons have that kind of faith. You've got to come to Jesus Christ for who he is and repentance of your sin and the fact that I don't want to follow my way. I want to follow you. And then the rest of your life, you're going to find out through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit what that means. But if you come saying, God, I want eternal life, but I want to do my own thing, you're going to walk away like the rich young ruler, very sad because you wanted eternal life, but the cost was too high. And that's what he's saying with this whole parable about the soils and how the soils work and the wonderful thing that if God is in a life, if Jesus Christ changes your life, if the Holy Spirit is a part of your life, there will be a change. There will be a difference. People will see a harvest in your life. And so the question becomes, have you seen the difference? My heart goes out to Christian folks who struggle all the time because they say, you know, I prayed that prayer. I prayed that prayer 15 times and I still don't know if I'm saved. It's like, don't look at the prayer. Look, do you believe who Jesus Christ is? Do you trust him? Sometimes that's where our, our faults lie. And if you trust him, are you, are you willing to obey him? That's the fruit. That's the sign. And if you're willing to do that, trust in that, because that's what Jesus Christ said is the sign. That's what John is going to tell us. That's what Peter's going to tell us. That's what James is going to tell us. And realize when you go out and you sow the seed, you don't win the souls. The Holy Spirit of God wins the souls. Some of your seed, when you're faithful, is going to fall on a rocky path. That's frustrating. Some of it's going to fall on rocky soil and pop up and not be real. Some of it's going to fall on thorny soil, and you really think, hey, I got that one, you know, notching my belt, I want him to. Well, you didn't win him to Christ anyway. The Spirit's got to do that, but that's one I got. Some of you are going to have the Tom in the back of your Bible and suddenly realize it wasn't real. But you keep sowing because the Spirit of God is the one who prepares the soil. And when that word hits the right soil, God changes lives. Trust the God who changes lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this parable. And there is so much in there for us to learn. I pray that we might take the time to pray about it, think about it, let your Spirit drive it home to our hearts. Lord, we thank you that even though there are times when it's frustrating and we don't get the results that we think we ought to get, we need to realize that... Your word is always true, and there is a harvest coming if we'll just be faithful and scatter the seed. May you use us by the Spirit of God to be faithful sowers. And Lord, as we look at the scriptures ourselves, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know Christ, may they look at Jesus Christ for who he is. And Lord, may your spirit work to plow that ground up to be good, fertile soil that will produce the kind of fruit that's evidence of eternal life, 30, 60, and 100-fold. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.